Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Thank you, Dave Slade, and welcome to another Baseball America podcast. Today, J.J. Cooper and Ben Badler are going to talk Dodgers. We're almost done with our 30-team review of all 30 teams' farm systems. We have the Dodgers, got the Giants, that'll finish us off. We have the top 100 is out now. So a lot of great stuff at BaseballAmerica.com. Before we get to that, though, we do want to remind you that uh, Baseball America's podcast is brought to you by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you're a baseball fan, you need to check out Baseballism.com or visit their retail locations in Cooperstown, New York, and Scottsdale, Arizona. Visit Baseballism.com and enter the code BA2017 to save 20% on your order. So, Ben, we are wrapping up here. Dodgers is the second-to-last team. We're really wrapping up with one of the best, one of the best farm systems, I would say, in baseball. I think you would agree. The thing that stands out about this is, is you have the top-end talent, Cody Bellinger, but you also have some depth of significant talent, and that's logical. <laughs> The Dodgers spend a lot of money uh, on amateur talent acquisition. They've spent a ton of money internationally. And some of it ends up being basically burned. Let's just be honest about it. A lot of it, yeah. A lot of it. But the reality of it is is it also does mean it pays off. If you look at this system as an overview, it is an organization that is successful at the big league level but also has a lot of pieces, even after making some moves and all, to either help the big league club or to be used in trades. Yeah, and I think, you know, you mentioned all the, the money they spent, and that certainly gets a lot of attention, and and that did get them Yadier Alvarez, their top pitching prospect, got them Yusniel Diaz, who is their now their number six prospect. They trade away Jose De Leon, uh, so he moves up one spot. But I think the majority of the talent that they have is not so much due to the money they've spent. It's really been good... Good draft picks. I mean, Cody Bellinger was not... <laughs> uh, he, he was a dude, but he wasn't a top-of-the-first-round pick or anything no, like that. No, he's very, very much transformed himself. I mean, he's always been a very good defender and a good athlete at first base. The defense has always stood out, but he's a fourth-round fourth pick, pick who you know, was supposed to be a you know a bat, bat over power type guy. Now he's probably more power than, than bat, but he's, I mean, it's really a combination of of everything, I mean, he's probably he's, he's an extremely well-rounded player for a first baseman. Uh, you don't really hear that talked about <laughs> too much with first baseman, but you just go down the list. I mean, Alex Verdugo, Willie Second Calhoun, round pick, fourth round pick. You know, Brock Stewart. These guys were not. You know, e- e- even the Sixth guys, round pick. even the guys who were first round picks. Even you go back to like Corey Seager. You know, these guys they haven't had a top like ten picks I think since Clayton Kershaw was the last time they had one. Uh, they've been really hitting on on their draft picks. And do a good and, job of development, too. Yeah, and doing that with without having that luxury of, you know, usually when we have a team that's, that's ranked really high in our farm system rankings, it's a combination of, you know, they had really high draft picks and they've made a whole bunch of trades, whether it's the Cubs, uh, you know, a couple of years ago or the Royals when they were building their farm system up. Uh, the Rays did the same thing. Uh, the Braves right now, you know, combination of, of high draft picks and... And acquiring uh, and every first-round pick that they can get their yeah, hands on. Yeah, trades. So, 
uh, to me, that really is, is, you know, you look at where, you know, if you have the prospect handbook, you can see our, our farm system rankings. And a lot of the teams that are in that top 10 of our farm system rankings are teams that have been bad at the major league level. Uh, and, and bad for a few years, have had high draft picks, have been trading for players. The Dodgers really stick out in that group because, like you said, they have a strong farm system, but they're also built to win right now at the major league level. They haven't just been piling up these these high draft picks and, and trading for a bunch of guys from other clubs to, to boost their farm system. Uh, they've they've just had a done a really good job and made it a, a done a really made made some really astute picks. Uh, in the draft, especially the other thing though that does stand out when you look at their lot in the prospect handbook, largest bonuses in club history. Most clubs, when you look at this, it's like there's a guy you know that that first that top of the first round pick guy that they signed for five million dollars or whatever. When you talk about with the Dodgers, and again, it, it is true they've drafted very well. Hector Oliveira, twenty eight mil. Yadier Alvarez, sixteen mil. Yusniel Diaz, fifteen point five. Yaziel Puig, 12. Alex Guerrero, 10. And we could, if you kept going beyond that. Yeah, that's just signing bonus. I mean, Yaisel Sierra, Aryu Baruena, who I'm sure the Dodgers never want to hear his, <laughs> his name, name again, mentioned. Um, doesn't even go on there just because we're only looking at signing bonuses. Pablo Mian Fernandez, who they gave $8 million to, who's just, you can find him in minor league free agency. The billion guys like him, they gave him $8 million for some reason. So the, the point is, is this is an organization that's drafted very well, that does a good job of development, but also does have the ability to eat contracts that most organizations, they would it would basically crush development. Let's just be honest. I, I think there's a lot of, yeah, there's certainly a lot of money that they spend that they've got, they have not gotten a good return on their but, investment. But they've drafted so well that they still have this right. The reality of it is, is that farm system. no. To me, when I look at the National League West, you've had two teams that have fought it out at the top for basically this decade. I mean, the the Diamondbacks, the Rockies, and the Padres have largely been absent from actually competing in the division for most of the decade. It's been the Dodgers and Giants. And if it, let's just also be honest, if it wasn't for the fact that the Giants basically won the World Series, which is the point of what this is all about. But them winning the World Series in 12 and 14 means that they do have an upper hand on the Dodgers. When it comes to the regular season, the Dodgers have been the dominant force in this division for most of the decade. And when you look at it right now, I know that the Rockies have improved and the Rockies have a good farm system. The Giants are still in the contention and all that, and they have some depth, although their farm system is not at that same level. Padres are completely, entirely in a rebuild and are trying to build a very strong farm system. The Diamondbacks are a little bit earlier in their rebuild than the Padres are with some very good core pieces. I still look at this and say, if you ask me to pick a team to be the dominant team in this division over the rest of the decade, it's the Dodgers. What yeah, do you think? I think that's absolutely true. I'm not, I, I like the Rockies' farm system. I'm not buying their overall plan uh, i don't think they have a much of a direction it seems in terms of where they're going the diamondbacks the padres are i mean the diamondbacks farm system is is bad uh they have a 
they have a lot of different opportunities that they they could. Uh, if they did a total tear down, they have some pieces that would be incredibly valued out there. I, I think. But that said, that yeah, would be a. And the Padres are are going to be. Uh, wow, I can't imagine how many people are going to be watching <laughs> Padres games this year. They, they are, have a good farm system, but it's 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 still it's it's not close. They're they're the only team that I can think of in baseball right now that is in. Like if you said right now, pick your favorite to be the number to have the number one pick in not this year but next year's draft, it's the Padres with a bullet because there's no other team out there. Usually we have three or four. But this time last year, you know the Braves and the Phillies and well the Twins weren't, but they ended up being. But there were a number of teams who were in the wow we're going to be terrible, but we're completely rebuilding. The only team that kind of feels like is at that phase in the rebuild right now at the big league level is the Padres. The Padres, when you are talking about, well, they might acquire Jared Weaver because they need innings. You know, that, that starting rotation right now still, as we sit, as spring training begins, their starting rotation, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for guys to, uh, I mean, to earn jobs. They hope to find a Dan Straley or someone like that on waivers or something. But the reality of it is, is that, they had Van Strand last year and they waived him, but you know, but that is, they do not have, they don't, they don't have a core yet at the big league level that you say that's what they're building around. They're no, that's uh, that's why, like you were saying, it's it's the Dodgers and and the Giants, and if you look at how these teams are are built out for the next few years, I, I mean, I do think the Giants are still going to be a, a competitive team a, a few years down the road. They they have the pieces on the major league team, but certainly. I think you look at the combination of major league talent and what's coming up in the farm system. I mean, you, you look at the you mentioned the depth that the Dodgers have, but at the same time, there's also there's also guys who are ready to help. Their, their best prospects are are in the upper levels. Obviously, Yadier Alvarez is still probably a, a couple or a few years away. Right. But you know, but Cody, Cody Bellinger, Bellinger, Alex Verdugo, Willie Calhoun, these guys all played in in Double A or above. Andrew Tolles helped them already. Uh, this this well not this season in 2016 last year so uh, there's a lot of guys there who who can help them as as quickly they, as, as this year I think and they also have the pieces when they have a hole at the big league level I mean Jose De Leon again we talk about development that was a 23rd round pick who they turned into one of the better pitching prospects in baseball and, and that helps them you know basically go out there and get the second baseman that they needed so this is something that they have done. They not all of these prospects are going to fit on this big league roster, in part because it is they are at the point where you have to be pretty special to break in because they they have the money to spend and they can go out there and get big league answers where you say we're not going to go through the acclimation process, but they also can go out there again. They can use these pieces in trade. Cody Bellinger though feels like I think to both of us a guy who much like. You know, I don't, I'm not saying he's Corey Seager because he's not, but much like Corey Seager, he's a cornerstone type guy that you at some point, and I don't know exactly where he fits in the short term, but he's a guy that you do build around, not you trade away. Yeah, that's somebody who should be hitting in the middle of their lineup for, for a long time. There's no, no, uh, no surprise why that was the player the Twins kept asking about in the, they're smart Ryan about Dozier. that, yes. Trade talks, and I think everybody in baseball would love to have Cody Bellinger on their team. Uh, this guy has—he's uh, he, a first baseman who's a well above average 
defender at that position. He, I would say he's the best defensive first baseman in the minors. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I now I'm not saying that there may not be some 32 year old at AAA that's slipped my mind. But when you're talking about guys who are prospects, I yeah, don't think it's, I mean, I don't think it's close. There might be a, somebody who's at third base right now yeah. in the minor leagues who's a future first base and who may end up being a better defensive first baseman down the road. But right now, Cody Bellinger, it's it's athleticism. He, he has good hands, actions, range. Uh, he, he gets good reads off the bat. He's, he's a big target over at first base. He Everything you really want to see defensively, in a first baseman. I mean, we're talking about a first baseman we're just, who, who had a great year offensively, and we're talking about his defense. I'll put it this way. When we talk to scouts, when it comes to first baseman, there's only two ways that a scout generally brings up their defense at first base. On one hand, you have Josh Bell and guys like that who they bring it up because they're like, I don't know. He's bad enough at it defensively that I can't confidently tell you that he'll be able to do it. And that's a pretty rare group. And then on the flip side, guys talk about their defense with Cody Bellinger because it's like he's as good as you will see. Like he's a guy who could reach the big leagues. At If he's playing first base in the big leagues, I would expect him to be immediately one of the best defenders in the big leagues at first base. Now, admittedly, it's first base. This is not, the, this is not shortstop. But he's a guy, he'll play outfield first with because they have Adrian Gonzalez. But he's a guy who is a legitimate outfielder. It's not a question of, can he play the outfield? He's played center. I mean, again, he's not a center fielder long-term, but he's played center during his career. And scouts will talk about, no, 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 but you want him at first base because he's that good defensively at first base. Yeah, it sounds a little strange. You'd rather have somebody who has the, the value to play the outfield instead of go to first right. base. But he's so good at first base. Do you want a 50 in the corners or do you want a 70 at first? And, they and, I, and I think the ability to to play the outfield, I mean, he's a legitimately average runner, um, which you don't see from, from many first basemen. And so he does have the ability to go out, maybe even play center field, like you said, in a pinch. Uh, more comfortably, you'd put him in a corner outfield spot. I think that's probably the way he at least transitions. Right, he has lineup. to. Adrian Gonzalez is signed for, I mean, he's still locked up. This year and next year. Yeah, so that's uh, that's the way he's, um, you know, we'll see what happens in 2018, but certainly in 2017, I think Bellinger is probably going to force the issue at some point, maybe by midseason. And, and that ability, that versatility to play the outfield is, I think, mean, the way he's going to enter the lineup. But I do think long-term he probably holds down first base uh, for them for uh, for a long time. And, oh, yeah, we've only talked about his defense. By the way, this is a guy who was 21 years old last year in double-A. Uh, uh, just coming off an outstanding season there. guy who understands the strike zone. Uh, he's always been a, a good hitter. He, he keeps trimming his strikeout rate uh, every year after he's, he's made some mechanical adjustments. He's got 25, 30-plus, maybe even home run power. 56 think, home runs the last two years. Some yeah, of that was in Rancho. Has, but and, and The Texas league was not an offensive league last year as much no, as everyone being one of the youngest hitters in that league, it's, um, like I was saying before, it's uh, you don't really find many first basemen where you say everything he does is, is average to, you know, to, is like a 50 to a 70 tool. On, on the 2080 scale. Hey, on, our, on our grading of him, there literally is not a below average tool, and the only average tool is his speed. Everything else is plus or better. Yeah, it's, he does so many different things to help you uh, 
you know, create runs, prevent runs. Uh, the, like we always look at the, yeah, we always want to look at the the, the reward or, or the upside. We're also looking at the the risk factors and, and the weaknesses, trying to poke holes in these guys would go wrong. There's not too many holes in this guy's game, and Pretty, one of the prettiest swings you'll ever see. Either we have, uh, yeah, I, I mean, we don't put too many first base prospects into our top ten historically. I mean, Eric Hosmer was was in there. I mean, that's obviously and I think it's I, I it's a comparison. The thing about it is, is that, and I think he's a he has a chance to be a better, a significantly better version of Hosmer. Yeah, I, to me, it's kind of like it's somewhere in between Hosmer and, and Anthony Rizzo. I mean, two guys who have you know pure hitting skills, power, and, and good and defense, defense at first base with you know big frames from from the left side. Um, probably maybe a little bit more physically similar to Hosmer, but I think in terms of the production that I'm expecting from Bellinger, it's going to be somewhere. Uh, in between those two guys, which which is a star, and then Yadier Alvarez, number two on this list. Obviously, Ben, you Alvarez has had a very interesting path to being a, what is now one of the better pitching prospects in the game, because he's a little bit of a late bloomer, is he not? Oh, completely. He when he was in Cuba, he was not really any. He, he wasn't even a, he couldn't even make their junior national team, which is, you know, you have to be good to uh, right, a but, good player. But, but especially pitching, especially on the pitching yeah, side. Yeah, the it, pitching side especially. They had, like, that 1800 team that year had, you know, Cionel Perez was on that team, Ronald Bolaños, uh, who signed with the Padres, was on that team. They, they had some, you know, they had some other guys on that team who were okay arms, but not great. Granted, Cuba's not going to show, you know, they're, they're putting players on that team who, they think have the best chance to win the tournament, not necessarily the best future projection. Right. But Yadier Alvarez pitched in their 18 and under league that year and walked more than a batter per inning. I mean, this guy was pretty much almost out of nowhere. Uh, he had never pitched outside of Cuba. Nobody had ever seen him uh, pitch outside of Cuba. He never pitched in Serie Nacional. And then he popped up in the Dominican Republic and was throwing, you know, mid 90s. Then it was upper 90s and a pretty loose. Easy, minimal effort delivery. Uh, he was he was wild. I saw him at one of his first showcases there, and he had trouble throwing strikes. But you could see the the easiness to to the way he to to the way his mechanics worked, to the way he threw the ball, uh, the the velocity. You know, you hear a lot. You know, oh well. You, you look at a guy and see, and and you think he's probably throwing maybe ninety, ninety one, ninety two, and you look at the radar gun, and it's 96, 97. <laughs> that's that's Yadier Alvarez. Yeah. And, and and now he's touched triple digits. Yeah, now he is, his velocity has continued to improve, and his control has, has come a long ways. Um, it's he's made some mechanical adjustments to uh, to help repeat his delivery with with more frequency, and he misses a ton of bats. The the curveball that he throws is is plus. He throws a changeup that I I think he's. You know, the changeup isn't even really a pitch that they have. They, they, you see a lot of in Cuba. A lot of those pitchers tend to throw a, a splitter, <laughs> so that's a pitch he's still learning. But that has a potential to be another above average. Pitch and again, for him once he throws uh, uh, a scout, you know, told this to us, you know, not that long ago. Think about it is, is that if you're throwing a hundred, which he will do, and locating at times a hundred, the changeup out of the hand, if you just can, if you, 
if you just can repeat your delivery, I mean, if you can just don't slow your arm down at all, it's going to be an effective pitch almost from the start. Yeah, and now there's 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 an extreme level still of risk with Gary Alvarez. We haven't seen him throw more than sixty innings ever in his life. Uh, he has he's, to he's show, not worth deep in games because he's never needed to. No, and he's the Dodgers have managed him extremely carefully, and and this is not a. 16-year-old kid, this is somebody who turns 21 next month. I mean, if you had a 21-year-old college junior who you were drafting and he had never thrown more than 60 innings... We call him Michael be... Machuela. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Alvarez hasn't had, the obviously, the extensive injury history right. that Machuela or other pitchers who, right, but that who is... don't throw innings like that. Uh, but it is, a, you just don't know how, you know, how it's a thinner-framed guy. How is he going to handle... Uh, having 150 to 200 innings. Right. Can he do um, that, or is he going to be something? And what is he going to do, uh, you know, this season? I mean, you can't – he's he's not going to throw 150 innings no. this season. The Dodgers are not going to ramp him up from 60 innings to uh, maybe – he might throw double that amount of innings this year. But even then, we, we have to to wait and see. And it is still – it's – he is overpowering hitters just just on the pure stuff and the strike throwing ability is better, but still the, the command needs to improve. There's there's an extremely high ceiling. I, I don't think there's many pitchers in the minor leagues who can match Yadier Alvarez on pure stuff. It's it's an exciting high extremely high reward pitcher who I I don't throw this around much, but there's a number one starter potential mm-hmm. here, but there is still a lot of risk involved. A lot. Yeah. Now, another one that's interesting in this top ten, Willie Calhoun, number five on this list. I don't. We I think have some differences of how we see Calhoun, but I think here's where we start with. We start with we both agree. Willie Calhoun can really hit. Yes. I mean, he's he's hit. He hit when he was in junior college ball. He's hit at every level in pro ball. He is a a short. uh, It's a short left-handed hitter. With legit power in there, I mean, he drives the ball very well. What I mean, as a hitter, what do you see him kind of ended up being? I I think he has a chance to be one of the better hitters in the game. I just love the way his swing works. It's you mentioned he's short, uh, his, his which swing, is not a disadvantage. That's an advantage for him. Yeah, it's way. it's a small strike zone. He manages that strike zone very well. Uh, he's able to. To, to decipher a, a strike from a ball, he, he swings at good pitches, and the plate coverage is outstanding because he has very good hand-eye coordination. It's a very short, uh, efficient, simple swing that stays through the hitting zone for a long time. Even if he's late on a pitch, he's still probably going to make contact, and because of the power he has, it's, even if it's going to the opposite field, he's going to drive the ball to the opposite field, and he has power. Uh, this is a guy who's who was hit and hit for power throughout his career. Like you said, going back to his college days, and and keep in mind the Dodgers drafted this guy in the fourth round in 2015 and sent him to Double A last year. That's just an organizational philosophy right now of the Dodgers is they're going to push all their top prospects very aggressively. You saw with a uh, you know with Bellinger, Verdugo, 
Yusniel Diaz, uh, Omar Estevez, they signed out of Cuba. Brock Stewart, basically, I mean, he never really unpacked last year. It was Rancho, <laughs> it was Tulsa, it was Oklahoma City. Yeah. Hey, you're in the big leagues. You know, you put out the list of the youngest players uh, at, in the, at each level of the minor leagues every year, and it's, it's just filled with, with Dodgers, partly because the Dodgers have a lot of good prospects, but partly because the Dodgers push their prospects. And I think if you take all of that context into consideration – and and consider what Willie Calhoun did last year. Thought it was a, an outstanding pro debut offensively. This guy hits for power. Uh, he he doesn't swing and miss much. He he controls the strike zone. He does he does uh, so many things. He checks off so many boxes that I want to see out of a hit uh, out of a, uh, a as a hitter. And now we can talk about his defense. And where, that's where my concern is. Is that's like, where everybody's concern is. And I, yeah, I think it probably depends on the, the magnitude of, of that concern. Okay, let's start with, as a second baseman, if you're being charitable right now, he's... We are charitable. Being charitable, he's below average to well below average. I think well below average. Is, I'd say another way you could term it right now is, is currently it is unplayable. You, yeah. You could not, not put him in the big leagues at second base right now. And feel like that the man, your major league manager is not at some point going to go to the general manager and say we can't do this. Right. He has to get better. Hands, range, really. I hate to say it, but all the way around. Yeah, I mean we're like sometimes it's all right. Well, he doesn't have you know we talk about somebody else. We'll say well they don't have great range. It's not going to make the flashy play, but he'll make the routine plays. With Willie Calhoun, he's got to learn to still just make the routine plays. At second base. Right. He doesn't make the flashy plays. He doesn't make the routine plays. And there are some concerns about whether he can do that. I mean, there is a lot of work between where he is now and him ever being a big league second baseman because the, it's the, the building blocks are fringy there too. I mean, it's not something, kind of what you're saying. That is a concern. It's not, you know, Yoel Moncada, for example, is not, he's not a poly, he's, he, he has he has work to do whether he's going to play second base or third base either position he's got work to do defensively but you see with him I mean you, you can't miss the athleticism you can't miss the well above average arm strength that he you has. will see a great play from him that tells you you know what with refinement he could be really good here yeah with just yeah with experience learning to, to slow the game down whereas with with Willie Calhoun it's now you know the hands you're hoping for him to be a 40 over there yeah, even maybe a, a touch below that. Um, it's it's. Um, I, I kind of look at forty at second base. You just, wanted, of, you just want him to get to, to playable or adequate at second base, which there there certainly is a high risk that he ends up moving off. Okay, the position. so then once you get to that, we'll start with the logical. If he was six foot one, I would say because the bat is good enough, you would say this guy will end up at first base, and he'll be potentially playable at first base, and everything will be fine. Right. But we actually did this. We actually went and ran a BREF play index of show me every big league first baseman who's five foot eight in the history of the game. And you pretty much have to go back to the dead pre-dead ball era, basically the time when five foot eight made you, oh, he's a, uh, he's a slightly above average, uh, you yeah. know, height, uh, meh. there are no five foot eight first baseman. You're just too small a target. No one ever does that. It's like, it's, it's more rare than finding a left-handed throwing catcher. Um, so then you say, okay, and it's third base, the arm, that's third base is out. So it's left field, right? 
That's the, the other option. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it's probably second base, left field, DH. Uh, those are, and that's like that's one of the risks with second base prospects, and that's 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 the the big risk with Willie Calhoun. I think if he, I think he could handle left field. He's not he's not fast, but and there are look the left field left fielders in general are, are you're seeing more guys who have speed in left field, but I, I don't think you need to be uh, you know, a Brett Gardner type to to play left field. I think he could be adequate defensively in left field, uh, probably below average defensively, but I think you could put him out there. And and I just love the bat so much that he, I, I I still think he'd be valuable out there. To me, the yeah the 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 question of whether he can stay at second base is I, I think you look at it as like you said there's. There certainly is a lot of risk, and it's the the, the thing that gives me some—I don't even say optimism, but at least some hope that he can stay at second base—is is just keeping in mind that this was his first year in in professional baseball, and and John Manuel's written about it before that professional baseball is the best way, uh, the best system for players to get better defensively. You just have more time, more opportunities. Yep. You can have a coach go out and hit you, you know, 300 fungos every day at second base. And this is somebody who is like Willie Calhoun just turned 22 years old. He's 21 years old all of all of last season. Uh, I think there's still time. This is not somebody who's, you know, 24, 25, where you're, you know, this is pretty much uh, is what it is at this point defensively. I think there's there's still time for him to improve defensively. It's almost like his bat. If, this, if he was in maybe like low A or high A this year, we'd say, all right, well, maybe there's more time. We have more patience with him to develop defensively. His bat is so good. He's, he's going to be in AAA this year and, and pushing on the door offensively. And uh, it's, of it's, a, it's almost like a catcher. When we talk about catchers sometimes, it's that kind of level where the bat is going to be ready so much before the glove is that you're going to have to at some point say, yes, you're just going to continue dominating Triple A as a hitter, but you you got to stay there because we're working on this. Yeah. So and we've seen other look. Raphael Devers this year transformed himself. He was a a guy who there was some maybe some risk. He might even move over to to first base coming to the year. I mean, I see he seemed like an okay defender at third base, playable over there. All the reports we got on him this year were wow, this guy is, is an above average defender at. At third base, pretty consistently. To very, to, I was very surprised by that. I don't think Willie Calhoun is ever going to be somebody like that. Where he's, oh, Willie Calhoun is <laughs> above average defender, but I do think there is a chance that he can improve defensively enough to become an adequate defensive second baseman. And if he's an adequate defensive second baseman, I think the the bat is an impact bat to to become you know a three four win type player overall, even giving back. Uh, Some on defense in, in the field. Now it's <laughs> there's there's still risk in there, which is why he's you know I I, I like him higher than where we have ranked. You might even I want to speak for you may, uh, where you like him, but uh, we have we're ranked in the 90s, I think. Right. In our our top 100, so um, I'm probably the the high man <laughs> on Willie Calhoun uh, just because I, I do believe in in his bats so much. I, I will give one piece of optimism for him like that when I think of scouting stories from my past. Um, one that does jump out is his Juco second baseman that I saw many years ago. 
Um, when Marcus Giles, I was covering the Macon Braves, 1998, I think it was, and Marcus Giles was second baseman that year for them, and he was, at that time, legitimately, and I think he would say he was a 20 defender at second base. He was brutal, and he was brutal in almost every way you could be brutal. I mean, he just was not, he didn't have range, his hands weren't good, there really wasn't much of anything. To his credit, Glenn Hubbard, former big league second baseman, was a coach there that year, and it's not fun, but in Macon, Georgia, where it was, you know, probably 90 degrees with 100% humidity, um, they showed up most every day, 1 o'clock, ground balls, ground balls, ground balls. And Marcus Giles turned himself into, again, bat first second baseman. But at his, I mean, he was a big league second baseman, second for, baseman yeah. Yeah, for, for, for multiple years because he improved his defense to the point where it was playable considering how good the bat was. That's what you're talking about, Willie Calhoun. The concern I have with Calhoun, like you said, it's really a risk concern because I'm not, I mean, I've talked to scouts who aren't sold that left field's even an option because we're talking about really like a, I mean, you can get, it's a, it's not a, if you want to go half grades, it's a 35 runner. You know, he's not a 40 runner. Not, you know, you probably he's a little bit better than a 30 runner, but that, you know, again, it's projecting a position he hasn't really played that much, but it's like, I don't know how well he can handle that because there's not a whole lot of speed there either. But the bat is pretty special. I mean, the bat is, is very impressive. He's going to be a fascinating one to watch, uh, going forward. There's a lot of fascinating guys in this. Now, for him also, I mean, second base is probably not an option for a little while now, now that they've made, you know, yeah, I mean, the Dodgers, I don't think there's any surprise. The Dodgers internally concur that Willie Calhoun is not ready defensively. Right. Uh, you they, can't put him at the major league level right now. That's why they were in so many offseason trade talks, why they traded for, um, for Logan Forsyth. So. Um, the thing about this is this system's good because also because I really like their draft. Yeah. Um, before we get to the draft, I do want, I know that you are, you have always been an Austin Barnes believer. So I want to give you kind of a, a short, like, give the short synopsis of what you think Austin Barnes is going to be. I think, well, it, what, what he's going to become I, probably just depends on the opportunity he's given. I think in a lot of other organizations, he would be the starting catcher. He, he could be a starting catcher for a lot of teams. The problem is that he, you know, he was, you know, the Marlins drafted him uh, ninth round, 2011. And they kind of brought him along pretty slowly, uh, or, or at least kind of a... Yeah, 2011 Arizona State. So we're talking about college guy from an 11 draft. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, he's taken a while to, uh, you know, 27 years old and a prospect. We usually don't put that together unless it's a Cuban player coming over. Usually we think of 27 right. years old as, all right, you're probably in your peak major league. <laughs> Years uh, and the, the I will I will throw career. a crazy rule five thing is this, which he's only been eligible for the rule five draft for two years because he's a college draftee. Whereas if he'd have been a, like a signed out of Latin America, he'd have been eligible literally like six years, like at age twenty one yeah, compared to twenty six. Yeah. I mean the Dodgers have him and they have uh, you know Grant Dayton who's also uh, twenty nine years old, two older, uh, technically still prospects. Who uh, who I like quite a bit, but but I think Barnes, he he just really needs uh, an opportunity. Obviously, he wasn't getting that uh, last year, and then this year he'll you know they, they cleared some space for him. Um, 
trading last year. I mean, AJ Ellis and uh, now Carlos Ruiz is, is gone. So uh, they, they want an opportunity for him to play. This guy has pretty simple swing. He, he controls the strike zone. You see throughout his, his minor league career, he, he doesn't swing and miss much. It's, it's a high on base percentage. Not a ton of power, maybe 8 to 12 type home run guy with, with, the, with a bunch of doubles. Uh, his value is offensively is, is driven by his on-base percentage, but it's also a, a very good defensive package. He receives extremely well. Talk to teams that uh, have uh, pitch framing metrics on him uh, in the minor leagues, and he, he grades out extremely highly in, in that category, something obviously a lot of teams are looking at these days. So uh, I think that's certainly something that, that you want to have in the uh, Somebody who's a backup who who also has some versatility to uh, maybe fill in at times at, at second base or, or even third base. So I think if if he had the opportunity to be be a you know you don't have an everyday catcher but be a regular catcher, uh, this guy could be a, a league average, uh, maybe even better catcher. Uh, I don't think it's uh, somebody who you know if you look at some of these other guys who are 20, 21, 22 years old who might have. Uh, more overall impact in their careers just because they're going to have more opportunity five years, to, yeah. to, to do it. Uh, but I think Barnes is going to be a, probably one of the best backup catchers in the league this year. And if he was, if he was on a lot of other teams, I think he'd, uh, get a, you know, have, have a much larger role than he's going to have with the Dodgers. So I did want to ask you also, like, again, this draft, they, Gavin Lux, Dustin May, um, Jordan Sheffield, that's a, pretty deep drafts as far as, you know, bringing in some high, high ceiling talent. But who is that, you know, if there was one other guy like that really jumps out to you, one or and Will Smith was in this draft, you know, class yeah. two, but, and Mitchell White, I mean, again, good draft class. I really like their draft class, but who is a, a guy that we haven't talked about? Who's kind of a Austin Barnes. I know is one of you, like, I want to bring him up because I know he's one of your guys, but who's someone that really stands out to you as a guy who, who you really think has a chance to be something? Yeah, all those guys. I mean, DJ Peters, too, was uh, another really interesting draft pick they got uh, a little bit later on. Um, yeah, Jordan Sheffield, Dustin May, to me. I mean, to me, the guy that excites me the most is is Dustin May, just in terms of there's still a lot of projection that you're doing and, and kind of long-term, almost wishful thinking, maybe, in in some respects, but if, if everything comes together for him, I, I think he's going to be uh, a top 100 prospect for us soon, and and maybe uh, uh, somebody who ranks highly on that list. This is somebody who's six foot six, long arms, skinny body, a ton of physical projection. Uh, touching 94 right now with movement and, and usually, and we've talked a lot, you know, you, got, you guys were talking on the Top 100 show on MLB Network about Lucas Giolito, Tyler Glass now, how, you know, when you're 6'6 six, six plus, it's, it's tough to have the body control mm-hmm. to keep all those long levers in sync and be able to maintain your delivery and, and throw strikes. And that's one of the things that I like about Dustin Four May walks is, in 30 innings in yeah, the ACL. As, Four. As, uh, as an 18-year-old you know, kid out of high school, and to get this guy in the third round, and not only is he you know, a, a big physical guy who you know, has probably an average fastball right now, I think he's going to grow into 
I think a lot more velocity potentially, or he certainly has the potential to do that. Uh, but he also has, you know, good movement on that that pitch, and, and he, I think, the separator too is is that slider is is a swing and miss slider. So you have somebody who has the potential to have you know mid rotation stuff at least, uh, and has good control of 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 that stuff too, especially considering his age and for how long and, and lanky he is. That's the guy who I, I think if you if everything clicks for him, could be really exciting. Brock Stewart's the guy. He's in the top ten, so I'm not going to talk about him because. But he's a guy I really am impressed with the, the development and the improvement he's made. Um, another guy though, who's Trevor Oaks, 14th at the time we did the handbook. He'd be 13th now because of the trade of De Leon. But Oaks, uh, you know, Cal Baptist, which has had uh, a run of of pitching prospects, but a four, seventh rounder in 2014, whose stuff has gotten better as a pro. Um, again, credit to him, credit to the Dodgers as far as development, that he's, his stuff has gotten better uh, pitching on a uh, on, on five-day schedule instead of a seven. That's, that's not always easy to do. But really locates, again, you know, he's more, to me, kind of, of a back-end uh, kind of guy, but, you know, gets, should get some ground balls. And you want to talk about a strike thrower. Again, he was on the Brock Stewart plan. Rancho, Tulsa, Oklahoma City last year, and overall for the year, it was a grand total of 21 walks in basically 100 and like almost 150 innings. Yeah, I mean that's his game: throw strikes with a you know plus sinker. It's it's got good combination of velocity and extremely heavy life on it. It's sinkers, cutters, throw it over the plate. Not going to miss a ton of bats. He doesn't have the secondary pitches to do that. But he's a heavy, prolific ground ball pitcher. And, you know, like you said, if you can throw strikes, keep the ball on the ground, whether it's back of the rotation uh, or maybe a reliever, depending on what the Dodgers need this year uh, or going forward. Uh, He's a, I don't think it's a high ceiling guy, but I think that is somebody who can be a productive big leaguer. The thing that stands out to me about this is is even after trading De Leon, even after graduating Julio Urias, who is you know, front of the rotation guy basically almost from day one, even after trading away Jarrell Cotton, after trading away Grant Holmes, um, again, significant prospects. This is still an organization I look at, and they needed it last year. But if you need Brock Stewart, you know, if he doesn't slot in your top five, but you need him at some point in the year, you can feel comfortable about calling on him. And they will. And they will. If you need Trevor Oaks to give you some innings at some point, you can feel comfortable about that. And that's the guys, I mean, we're talking about the guys at the upper levels and then beyond that. Like, I do think that their high A rotations, probably going to be their high A rotation this year, could be exceptional. Yeah, I mean, the, the X factor here is, is Walker Bueller, right. too, who, if you just look at the pure stuff, it's it's probably Yadier Alvarez, number one, and then, and then Bueller is number yeah. two in, in the system. Because it's look, everything that's happened the last year was was a positive for Bueller. Mm-hmm. He you know had missed he missed pretty much the entire season uh, having Tommy John surgery. We knew that was going to happen, but you never know. You know we think Tommy John. Surgery, How's this stuff oh, going to come back? Yeah, sometimes it's oh well, it's Tommy John surgery. It's it's a routine procedure. It'll it'll come back fine. No, well, no, that's not how it always happens. Um, but in Bueller's case, the stuff is just as good, if, if not even. Uh, better, which doesn't mean that Tommy John surgery made him better. It means that he got maybe stronger and mm-hmm. 
worked in, in the office. And also, in the, and also that maybe he was pitching even before with some... Right, his stuff may have just been... On a steady deterioration because of the, the, the basically the structural integrity of the ligament. Right, so that's everything was, was encouraging. Now, at the same time, I, I think... The Dodgers are internally certainly are extremely high on him, and there are probably I know there are some scouts who saw him and saw the the glimpses of him pitching last season in, in extremely uh, short stints that were were extremely excited too. I I can see certainly the the upside that is there, uh, but still the fact that he has already had Tommy John surgery, uh, he's. Kind of a frail, not well, yeah, kind of a frail or framed type guy, and he just doesn't have a track record of of holding innings. And if you want to be a, I mean, if you just want to be a any kind of a starting pitcher, uh, right? There are durability the issues. He has to has to be a consideration. So you know, certainly by this time next year, he could be a lot higher on this list. Uh, it's kind of a highly volatile type of prospect is probably the best way I could put it where there's there's certainly a lot of excitement and, and high reward potential but that durability issues it's, it's easy to the durability the durability issues certainly for me are are a risk factor for him and it's, it's I think sometimes it's easy to to go out and say oh he's throwing a couple innings now and and you see the stuff and, and easy to, to get excited and get overexcited based on what you can see right in front of your face. <laughs> right there on the mound and then kind of forget and or almost overlook the risk that is not so evident when you're just watching him throwing, you know, 98 miles an hour coming back from uh, Tommy John surgery. So a lot of a lot of high reward potential there, but certainly a lot of risk as well. I, I look at it, so that, that high A rotation, Mueller should be in it. Um, we're, we're also looking at Jordan Sheffield in it, Mitchell White in it. Denise Santana, a uh, converted shortstop, who I kind of like as a, I mean, that's a, a deep, deep sleeper kind of guy. Yeah, Abdullah could, could be there. It's, I mean, yeah. It, and then it's the Dodgers, so they might push some of these guys to double yeah. We don't know. So. But, yeah, um, but, I mean, that, this is, again, the thing that stands out is, is this is depth. This is depth of arms in an organization that also is spending money at the big league level. It's a great combination to have. If you're a Dodgers fan right now, Again, you want a little bit more success in the playoffs. Let's just be completely honest. But the reality of it is, is that you look at this and you say, "Man, this is an organization that's built to win now and built to continue winning." Yeah, absolutely. But well, that was a good solid forty-five minutes of Dodgers talk. Whereas we come almost to we we have one more to do. We'll knock out Giants and we'll have knocked out all thirty organizations talking about their farm systems as we kind of put a bow on. The prospect season for 2016-17 offseason, now that spring training started, we'll have a top 100 podcast, which will be really fun. Probably I don't even know how long we'll go on that because that could be a lot of fun. But we do want to remind you again that our podcast is brought to you and sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you are a baseball fan, you need to check out Baseballism.com or visit their retail locations in Cooperstown, New York, and Scottsdale, Arizona. Visit Baseballism.com and enter the code BA2017 to save 20% off. So for Ben Badler, I'm J.J. Cooper. Thanks for the download and so long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.